This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good start. Hello and welcome to the first edition of the United Road podcast. I've got a very special guest. You can tell I'm an amateur at this, can't you? Um, let's bring him in, shall we? Jay, how are you doing, mate? I'm doing yeah. all right. How, how long have you been doing this for? Hey, I've been doing it for doing three whole minutes. Hey, you've been doing YouTube almost as long as I have. Don't give me that, eh? That you, was shocking, really nice. Listen, I'm late. Apologies, we're a little bit late. I can't say anything because I was having a nightmare getting my camera... I my mean, microphone and everything set up, and it wasn't, it wasn't having it. But we're, we're all good. We're on it now. So enough of that nonsense. It's good to see you, man. I've not seen you for a little while. How's yeah, it been, yeah, good, mate. It's good to get started. Really, I think it's uh, it's usually the other way around, this, isn't it? You interviewing you interviewing me and Joe, or me and Ronaldo, or someone on on Paddock. So it's a bit of a weird way around, isn't it? Yeah, well, we usually just have a chat when we get together, don't we? It's like just having a chat, we'll go down a few rabbit holes, off on a few tangents, have a little bit of a moan and a rant. It's all good. And there's, plenty and to moan. 
There's plenty to moan about in a minute, isn't there, bro? Well, <laughs> yeah, plenty of moaning and things you don't really usually say on camera, but uh, we'll we'll go from there. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, really good to have you on, mate. Really appreciate it. Obviously, the very first United Road podcast born from that little website there, theunitedroad.com. Um, my little blog that you actually helped me start up about five years ago, mate. God, it feels like it was yesterday now. So, um, yeah, it kind of... It kind of sort of writes itself this episode after this weekend, doesn't it? Um, obviously, three o'clock kickoff against our apparent mighty, mighty rivals, according to Ten Hag, when he wants to say things in his press conference. But what did you make of the game the other day, mate? Um, it was pretty bad from start to finish, wasn't it? Really, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't great. I'll be honest. No, it, we didn't get going almost for the entire game. We got a goal, which. I wouldn't say it was lucky, but it wasn't it wasn't obvious to me we were gonna get a goal to get back into the game. And then they get the winner, which was a real sucker punch, and it just added to the embarrassment. I feel embarrassed this season when I look at Manchester United, especially Old Trafford, because last season the one thing we had going for us that sort of swept us to third and got us through the cup rounds as well was our home form. And it was it was great as a fan because it gives you that bit of pride beating teams like Arsenal, City, Liverpool, Barcelona, at Old Trafford. You enjoy it. You go there as a fan or if you're watching at home and you have that thing of like Eric Tanag said he wanted to turn Old Trafford into a, a fortress. And after the Sociedad game, we didn't lose there all season. And you could argue the Sociedad game was unlucky with that penalty that shouldn't have been given. And this season, the, the Wolves game for, the, for, for the, the opener was a warning because we didn't play well, but we got away with it. And we just haven't kicked on. And there's been a few decent performances or decent halves or decent 20-minute spells. But on the whole, Manchester United this season look like a team that just haven't played together before. It's very difficult to see where the fluidity is, what the manager's trying to do and what sort of system he's trying to implement. I mean, I've always backed Ten Hag and I'll continue to back him as long as he's in that dugout. I mean, I'll give you my honest opinion on whether I think he's the right man for the job. But at the minute... It's very difficult when you're defending him or sticking up for him or saying, you know what, like let's give this manager time, which is what I've been saying, when you see the football that's on show. And you can argue that we've got injuries. And I've made that point myself and Paddock that we're missing key players. Rasmus Hoyland at the weekend was a key player. Lissandro Martinez is a key player. Luke Shaw's a key player. But Fulham are missing key players. And also, we should still be able to pick a team that beats Fulham at Old Trafford. No disrespect to them. But I think they're the 12th or whatever they were. The very up and down team, and you look at their starting eleven. You look at our starting eleven, and you think, really and truly, all the players we've got available, and the players they got available, we should have too much for them, and we just didn't. And when you see someone like Alex Oloba, who's okay, but he's not exactly the world beater, just sort of running the midfield and then getting the winning goal, it's just completely unacceptable, man. It really is, and it's a problem. Eric and has got to fix. He's got to fix it soon because you've got this new ownership team that have come in. It's not just. Sir Jim Ratcliffe, you've got Dave Brailsford, you've got Omar Barada. They're not going to stomach it. They're not sentimental. They're not going to go, well, he won us the Carabao Cup. Let's give him loads of time. That's not going to work. He's got to show this season that he can do something. And the games are running out. And that's why I know you're going to get to it later on. But that's why some tomorrow night's game is so important. Because if you lose that opportunity for silverware, if you lose that sort of not relief, but that just sort of optimism that being in a cup competition gives you that it's always something to play for. There might be a trip to Wembley, there might be a trophy at the end of the season. Once you take that away and it's just trying to get into the top four, it's massively deflating. And yeah, I do. I worry about Eric Salah's future. You know, I mean, when you say that as well, obviously, I think most fans are probably still backing him. Um, but obviously, I know we, we, we sort of saw the press conference today and I think a majority of the fans probably are still backing him, but... Do you um it's some cracking comments on show as well, by the way, guys. Um I think do you think the, the press conference worried him? Because personally watching the game on 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 Saturday, sorry, and seeing the sort of critiques that Jamie Carragher gave, you know, he's he's obviously not Mancunian's favourite person in the world, but I didn't really see much wrong with his his analysis. I thought he was pretty spot on with the the sort of structure that and the setup and the and the sort of layout and how he had the team playing, it it came across as the players didn't really know what they were supposed to be doing. And it, is is that not is that not a bigger worry for you? Because I mean, you say obviously we had the I mean the Barcelona night last year was incredible. Obviously Wembley was unbelievable. 
you strip those back and then you start to look at the underlying issues, like probably the performances, which somebody made a point before about Van Hal won the FA Cup, but the performances and the, the way he played was probably what got him the sack. Do you not think that that's the fear for Ten Hag? Do you not think that is what is probably putting his job on the chopping block because of the way he's playing and the fact that he has been here nearly two years now and it's a potential he's potentially not moved on enough and progressed enough. Yes, he's got his injuries, but so have other teams and they don't seem to be almost as miss, almost as badly structured as we are at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the funny thing about style of play is it's not as important if you're winning football matches. Now, you might say that's causing effects. Well, whether the right style of play, you win matches. But I don't particularly think Manchester United had a definitive Ajax style last season. I didn't look no, at the games great. we were winning and go, oh, it's total football. Oh, it's this, it's that and the other. A lot of it was getting the ball to Marcus Rashford and Marcus Rashford getting you a goal. That was the kind of the, the, the tactic that worked quite well because he was banging him in almost every week. Bruno weighed in with a few goals. And, you know, you had sort of Vegos who was a bit of a battering ram at times or just someone who could drop deep and just lay it off to Marcus. And that was kind of the tactic. It wasn't like I was sitting, sitting going, wow, this is great football. But we were winning games. Yes, we come unstuck a little bit away from home, but we're winning games. We won a trophy. We got to the last stages of other trophies as well, well, particularly the FA Cup. So you can forgive that. This season, though, you're not really seeing a style and you're not getting results. So it's the double whammy. It really is, and it's like it's hard to defend that. Now, the worrying thing for me with Eric Tanag is when you see decisions that look naive, that look either just, I'm being kind when I say, say naive, you might say stupid. I'll give you an example of what I'm on about. If you're making a big deal out of, say, signing someone like Sofian Amrabat and he barely plays, it looks a bit odd. If you're trying, uh, you're saying, we don't need Alvaro Fernandez, we don't need Brandon Williams, I'm going to send Sergio Regulon back. And then within a month, you've got Vitzel Lindelof as your left back. It looks a bit weird. It looks like you've not really thought this through. Now, yes, anyone get injuries, but you sent all those left backs away when you had one fit left back in Luke Shaw and then he gets injured. Tyrone Molasses is a long-term injury. Yeah, who, let's be honest... He's got, it's got an injury record that's not great, hasn't it? Yeah. It's not like you go, well, he's like, a, you know, a, a sort of a prime Dennis Irwin or whatever who plays every week. Luke Shaw's injury record over the last three seasons, he's missed half as many... He's missed as many games as he's played. So you yeah. look at that, you go, OK, I need a letter back up left back. I haven't got one. I better keep one of the ones I've got or retain... Well, I just better keep any of the ones I've got. And he doesn't. It looks a little bit naive. When you make the signings that he made in the summer, where you bring in a goalkeeper for big money, Mason Mount for big money, you brought in Rasmus Hoyland, which obviously you need to, but you make the decision, I'm going to spend 60 million on Mason Mount rather than bringing in another striker or waiting so I can get Mason Mount potentially on a free transfer. It looks a little bit naive. Now, I know you can't predict that Mason Mount's going to get injured, but you did know that you had one fit striker, you had one striker in Rasmus Hoyland who had a decent injury record, and another one in Anthony Marshall, who had a woeful one. So these kind of decisions end up costing you. They, cost you. they can cost you your job. And that's what my fear for it tonight is, because when you look at them, you look at them, not even with hindsight, just at the time people were questioning it. And now with hindsight, you go, these are big decisions that you made that have just backfired massively. Well, yeah, I mean, everything's obviously better with hindsight, though, isn't it? I mean, we always talk about it, like, sort of, we sort of the knowledge that we probably didn't have. But you look at Mason Mount, and I think a lot of people probably did question that at the time, though, didn't they? Especially for the money that, he's, he, cost, that he cost us, especially knowing that he's now barely played and that in, when, when are we now? February. In two months, three yeah. months' time, he would have been available on a free. And he's not exactly, he's barely played this year because of an injury. Luke Shaw's had his history as well. So why are you sending Reggie on back or, or selling Fernandez or whatever? Obviously, we've got players in the academy, but this is, it goes back to, Probably Alanga comes to mind. I know you mentioned it a lot of the time, but Alanga was probably thrown in at the deep end as a as a, an academy prospect. When he, you could potentially say he wasn't ready or was coming into a yeah. structure that kind of set him up to fail. And I feel like hopefully with the the new structure that's being implemented with Ineos and whoever else has come in, kind of solves those issues. I think a lot of the players though, and this is kind of what it's come on to next because I know it was kind of after the Fulham game. And obviously, it's come in the media. I think it was Jamie Jackson. I think off the top of my head, that was that um, that wrote about it. But there was players requesting Sunday off. Um, what do you make of that? Because it, I was frigging baffled by that, to be honest. 
considering yeah, the performance and, and what had just happened, I mean, that was baffling, surely. I know James Jackson known quite well. Um, he's, he's, he's on the last week. Yeah, yeah, he's you know he's a pal, and I tr- I trust him. I trust he gets his sources, and he's he'll have, he'll have heard that from someone he is is reliable. That's not him guessing or him making it up. And it's deeply troubling that players after that performance feel the answer is less work. Now I understand that players might feel knackered. They might go, look, we're shattered, but we ain't in Europe anymore. You ain't playing that often compared to what you've played in the past. And also, you've just faxed it in. You've just put in a performance that was woeful. The answer isn't more rest. The answer is harder work. Now, I understand that footballers play too much football. I think they do. I think last season was a joke. Having a World Cup in the middle of the season, the fact we had, we couldn't, we could only have played three more games last season. That was only humanly possible because we played two games against Barcelona in the Europa League with extra games. We went all the way in the FA Cup, we went all the way in the League Cup. So we played almost the maximum amount of games. It was only because we not, got knocked out of the Europa League quarterfinals. We didn't play those extra three games. Plus a lot of those players played in the World Cup in the middle of the season. So you have players like Bruno, I think Marcus was another one, one or two others who played more minutes than almost any other players in Europe. That's going to catch up with you. I get that. But this season, where we're at now, is we aren't playing as frequently. The performances aren't good enough. And I don't just put that down to fatigue. You can put it down a little bit, but I'm seeing things that aren't just... Fatigue, you're not just knackered in the first two minutes of a football match. That's not you're knackered. That's you don't know what you're doing. That's either you've not got the effort or the energy in terms of the mental energy, the mental effort, or you're confused. Because we saw it and it pains me to say it, but he was right. Jamie Carragher, when he pointed it out, I actually thought it was relatively reasonable because when he started going after Maynard, I started screaming at Metelli. I was thinking, don't even go there, bro. But he wasn't having a dig at Maynard. He said, look, Maynard's a good player. What's he, where's he going? Someone he should know, like that's on the manager, which I understand. And he was talking about the gaps in midfield. And Ronaldo Brown on, on Paddock, we were chatting about this the other day, and he was sort of him and Joe were going. I won't say going at it because they weren't; they were friends, and it was a good, it was a good debate. It wasn't like two people just rowing. But Joe had been watching Ajax versus Real Madrid under Tenag, and saying, you know, look at his style. I don't. I think the players aren't listening to him. He's not doing. They're not doing as he wants to do. He's he's not. It's not deliberate. And Ronnie was saying, but if you look at the way we are, particularly out of possession, that sounds to me like a manager who's setting us up that way and it ain't working. So it is worrying. It's not good enough. And time, you know, is running out for it tonight. You've got however many games left in the league. You know, we're past the halfway stage. We're, we're sort of barely within touching distance of Champions League spots. And then you've got this FA Cup, these FA Cup games. And I feel that this is what, sort of the point Ronaldo was making on the Paddock podcast the other day, and I agree with him. It's like, the trouble tonight now is it's almost like he's playing, forgetting about long-term, forgetting about style. Let's just play for this win now, this win. What What's the, the fix for this game? And it's because, like, he's under that much pressure, perhaps. Maybe it's because he's under that much pressure. It's like, every game's a must-win. Forget my principles. Forget trying to think anything of, you know, playing football the right way. I'm just going to try and get a win you know, grind out a win or get a goal or outscore the opposition or whatever. They have 22 shots, we'll have 23 or whatever. And it, you can't it can't work like that. It's it's a very sort of naive and short-term way of thinking. And he's, he's coming unstuck, he is. Do you, know, I mean, do you know what, though, I was thinking? Do you not think that's because of the pressures under he's doing that? Because obviously Ineos have come in and there is, there is obviously question marks about his future and there is question marks whether he's the sort of long-term name for the future. Do you think he's doing this because he's he's just trying to get as many results as possible and it's kind of backfiring on him? Because I'm I'm kind of the impression now that I think the writing might be on the wall. Like and I don't want it to be because I think, you know, we've tried so many different managers and I think with the right structure, would the players that he wants come in and actually play for him? Because I think there's obviously there's there's the whole tendency that the players have gone against another manager and stuff like that, but he was he's kind of lived and died by the sword that he brought in Anthony and Anthony gets the judgment now because he's 86 million. But if it had been bought when he was originally suggested by Ten Hag at 25 million, we wouldn't have this criticism and this this scrutinized aspect to him because he's only 25 million. So, do you not do you not think the Ineos thing is causing him to perform in this way because of Ineos coming in? Do you not think it'd help if they maybe put it to bed that he was going to be there for long term or? sack him now if if he wasn't the long term maybe i mean 
they might not know. They might be weighing it up. They might be looking at who's available. They might be seeing where we end up in the summer. They might be saying, if he gets Champions League football, we'll give him another chance. I don't know. But they might be looking at it and going, all right, let's see if this manager is the right guy. If he can deliver anything this season, then we'll we'll make a decision in May or whatever. Or they might have thought, he's not the right guy. We know who he is. We're lining that guy up, but we're not going to pull the plug now and put a caretaker in charge. We'll just let this guy see out the season. Because one thing with a caretaker manager, you know, if you sack Tanag now, I don't even know necessarily someone comes in and gets that new manager bounce and gets you winning every week. It might not happen. We saw it well, with... You never know. We saw it. He is available. Who, Ollie? Um, yeah, he is available. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think the, 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 the difference when Ollie came in last time was under Jose, I think it would become, it'd become a bit of a bin fire on it. Everyone was depressed. He'd fell out of everyone. He fell out with a lot of key players that he dropped. And all he just came in, was dead nice to everyone, put his arm around a few people, brought players back into the team. And for those 13, 14 games in particular, he just smashed it and it worked. And then the, the wheels came off a little bit. But the flip side is, you know, you saw it under Ralph Ragnick. He came in as interim manager and it was a disaster. Like, there's no guarantee with a, a short-term manager that he's going to get everything right. And my worry is, you know, a short-term manager, they might just go, right, who can we get in as a caretaker? I don't know. Let's just give the job to Steve McLaren till the end of the season because he's there and he's, you know, with the club. I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. So I'm, I'm a bit wary of sacking the manager now. They might make a decision now, but sacking him now, I'm a bit wary of. If they came out and said, this guy is our guy, which I kind of w- would prefer, the issue you've got there is if these results continue and if you get to the end of the season and you're sat in 10th, you went out of the FA Cup against Forest, you lost six of your last seven games, whatever. Everyone's thinking, right, you give this guy more time. Like, you're going to give him more, you know, more transfers and more, short, uh, more, uh, more another season. It's another season you're writing off almost. So, it is difficult. And I just keep going back to the idea that maybe it, it, you've got to wait to the end of, end of the season. Maybe you've got to wait and see. Because at the minute, even though it's been pretty bad, there's still some small, like, glimmer of hope. It's still there's still a glimmer of hope you can win the FA Cup. It's very you know, you know it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination. And I know there's bigger, big, I won't say bigger teams because we're the biggest team in it, but there's better teams in the competition. But it's doable. Also, again with Europe, it's highly unlikely that we get into the Champions League, but it's not impossible. You know, stranger things have happened. So I well, there's think a lifetime with the fifth spot as well, though, isn't there? With the yeah, League. exactly. I know we want to aspire to bigger and better things, but there is that lifeline there, isn't there? There, there is, and you know, part of me thinks, you know, I don't want that lifeline because it probably means City have won the Champions League or whatever. But that might happen. That might there might be a way that you get into the Champions League, finishing fifth. So I just feel that maybe Ineos needs to, to sort of give it till the end of the season. My one other concern as well, and they might have a better answer than I have, is some of the names that have been suggested. Like Deserby, Potter, um, Tuchel, I think. Uh, They're very underwhelming, aren't they? They are underwhelming. The Wazi Dan was mentioned. He is a great name. He's won the lot. And, you know, I think he was in a Zin Zidane, became United manager. We'd all be like, oh, Zidane's in a dugout. This is fantastic. But I've never got the, the impression that he's looking to come to Manchester United. I've never sort of seen anything where I thought he was linked with a job after Jose and that just, he sort of poured cold water on that. So maybe. Is is um that's just more paper talk than natural, you know. Zidane's going to come in, and again, he, he won a lot of Real Madrid. We had a lot of good players. I don't know. He might look around the uh, the the Carrington and think I'm uh, get a tune out of this lot. So it's it's I don't know. It just seems unlikely that one to me. Yeah, I mean, the Zidane thing's been around for a few years now, and it never ever comes to fruition, does it? And. <laughs> Like you say, that the other names that have that have kind of been mentioned are very underwhelming. I know there was Nagelsmann, but that seems to not be anywhere in betting markets or anything. So I don't know if that's just a, a massive rumor. But you know, the likes of the, I think there's Ruben Amarim, there's Graham Potter. They don't they don't fill me with. Let's get him in instead of Ten Hag. It just makes me want to stick with Ten Hag more. I'm I'm not one of those mm. who wants to sack the manager. I think we kind of need to keep keep him. Well, you, you know, if, you mentioned Van Gaal. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah, go on. But, you know, you mentioned Van Gaal. I think one of the reasons it did for him was because Jose was right there. Jose was there mm. and everyone knew that Jose was there. And everyone knew that Jose wanted the job. And everyone knew that Jose was a, champ- uh, a Champions League winner and a Premier League winner. And he just won the Premier League not long ago. I know it 
everything had gone uh, belly up at, at Chelsea, but he was a recent Premier League winner who'd won three Premier League titles, who'd won a treble with Inter, had won a treble with Porto. He was, it, it made sense. There isn't someone like that at the minute. There isn't an obvious one, unless maybe Zidane comes out and says, I'd be interested in the job. Then I think everyone will turn to him and go, okay, he's a guy. But at the minute, it feels a little bit like, like you just said there, there's, there's a few underwhelming candidates and one that's very unlikely as well. Yeah, and the, the thing, I mean, obviously it was a different time and the, I spoke different structure and so many different variables that were kind of alongside it, but I think everybody wanted Mourinho. And and to be honest, let's have it right, Mourinho wasn't this drastically different manager to Van Gaal, was he? He was still very pragmatic in his style. He was still fairly defensive. He was still fairly, you have to be in position. I, I, there's not that much creative freedom. So the fact that everyone was kind of, wanting him so much was it was almost because it was something new and he wanted to try something different i felt for van Gaal in that aspect but i mean you remember back to the times that you know there was people but at old trafford balancing cups on people's ads because it was more fun and falling asleep we, and we, we we were doing the united we stand quiz you know from the fanzine yeah we were we were reading that during the game not a half time and everyone was joining in yeah the football was terrible and he had that spell didn't he over christmas where i think we lost to bournemouth we lost to stoke we lost to Norwich, I think, or Southampton, and it, it was just like this is, you know, this this is done. And it was around that time that Jose had been sat from Chelsea, so everyone was like, right, okay, this is awful. And there's a manager right there who everyone, well, most people want. So yeah, it it, it felt different than it does now. But listen, there's no way you're to Jim Ratcliffe. You're 71 years old. You've waited your entire life to to get your hands on Manchester United. You've got your hands on Manchester United. You've not got that much sort of patience with this. I don't think you're going to sit here and go, well, this manager might be the wrong man for the job, but let's give him more time. You're going to want to see some sort of, not just instant success, but something moving the club forward quickly. So if, you, if you're looking at Eric Tanang and thinking you're wasting time with him, he's going to go and he's, you know, I'm so, I don't know much about Jim Rackley's business dealings, but I'm sure he didn't become Britain's richest man by just, you know, twiddling his thumbs. He's done it because he's a pretty ruthless, efficient businessman. And he's put people around him, the likes of Dave Brailsford, the likes of Barada, who are synonymous with success. So, yeah. and I he knows a good bank that... machine in Eccles as well, doesn't he? So, yeah, mate, you know. that one, <laughs> my missus goes mad when I tweet that because her, her, her reply, that reply is always in there. That's good. Uh, your missus is great, but it was fairly gullible. A little bit, yeah. It was just, a little just bit. A little that she bit. Had to, yeah, that she actually. I, I, if anyone who don't know what we're on about, I tweeted that I'd see just seen uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe in Eccles Morrison's drawing out a load of money in the cash machine. This is when we were first done with him. And then my missus messaged me and saying, "Is that true? <laughs> was it true as well? I think he, he, he's going back for the markets now, isn't he? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you know what? I mean, moving on from that. Obviously, I know there's it, a big conversation about Ten Hag, and I think time will kind of tell with it. Ultimately, I think there's still a big debate, and I think the fan base is becoming more slightly more divided at this point whether he stays or whether he goes. Personally, I think more times needed. However, there, there's a difference between backing your manager but still criticising him. Um, you know, he, he should rightly be scrutinised and rightly criticised. And I thought Carragher got it pretty spot on. I, I think you'd probably agree as well, wouldn't you, Jay? But I think he got it spot on and I think it kind of showed the players were a little bit like, where am I going? What am I doing? Which is quite frustrating to see, especially when you play for a club like Man United and or manage a club like Man United. But there was a topic I wanted to come on to, though, Jay. Um, you've been fairly well spoken about it in the past. Old Trafford, what, what do we do with it? Uh, the reason why I'm bringing it up is... I know you know my reasons. thoughts. Yeah, you've, you've obviously spoken about it a lot, but, you know, considering this is the first ever blog um, podcast around the blog, I thought I'd relate it to the last article I wrote, which was about Old Trafford, because, you know, I'm not well-researched and prepared for this. But um, I'm of the essence, and I think a few people are starting to come round to your thoughts, and I think... I think people are starting to agree that maybe Old Trafford is very tired. But what are your thoughts? Are you still thinking that? Do you think it's think it's time to potentially build something new, or have you changed your mind? What what's you what's you thinking? Well, because I I've imagine always a few pelters, but yeah, I mean, listen, I sort of you know nailed my colours to the mast early doors and said, I love Old Trafford. I've got some of the greatest memories I've ever had at Old Trafford in that ground. Been going since 1985. I've had 
sort of immeasurable joy and, and euphoria in that in that stadium. It holds very sort of emotional attachment to. I hold a very emotional attachment to it. It's dear to my heart. But I'm also a pragmatist, and I also believe that a it's not fit for purpose and revamping it constantly doesn't work. It's a hundred year old stadium. You can't keep revamping it. Sooner or later, you've got to look at the structure and go. It ain't fit for purpose. B the history. The emotion, everything else, the the, the the sort of the statue of the club comes with you. It comes with you, man. If you're sat in a new stadium, I don't think you think that this ain't United anymore. This isn't, this isn't, this is something different. This isn't us. I don't believe you'll feel like that. I feel you will still have that sense of history, that sense of connection, that sense of emotion, even whatever you want to call it. I've been Do to grounds think- around the world. I've been to the, 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 the new stadiums, you know, Bayern Munich are a club as historic as we are been to that Allianz Arena and yes it's a brand new stadium but it doesn't mean that that's not Bayern Munich anymore that's not still got that club with all the history that goes with it been to other stadiums as well that are new and that comes with you now the sort of the and, and sorry and the final one see it's not just the structure but the place is literally crumbling like people are getting concrete falling on their head there's not no mana leaks in the roof there's there's concrete falling on their head if you want to try and sit down in certain sections you can't where i stand i stand throughout the game but if you try and sit down at our time because you just i'm getting on a bit i'll sit down for five minutes you can't it's like and i'm only i'm not that's all i'm 5 11 and you, your knees are squashed it's just it needs for me rebuilding and the, the, the sort of the good thing about some of the suggestions recently are that they've been to rebuild it basically where old trafford is now which i think is a great idea because then as well you still have that sort of feeling that you go into Old Trafford. It's the same sort of place. It's not as seismic a change as if you were going to rebuild the stadium in, I don't know, the other end of Salford or whatever. So for me, I think if we want to be a modern club, if we want to move with the times, you can't just keep revamping, revamping, revamping the stadium that isn't really fit for purpose. I think you need to rebuild, have a stadium that's, you know, a brand new stadium that's, fit for purpose that it can be the kind of place where if you want to go there early and do all that sort of thing that certain people like to do and soak it up and all that you can do that you can go there you can enjoy all that and if you just like me you just like to go to the game watch the game you can go and watch the game in a stand where you can see what's going on where you're not getting you know leaks in the roof or bits of concrete falling on your head and you'll still be part of Manchester United Football Club. Do you think I mean I've been very guilty of sitting on the fence mainly to not upset people. But I think, do you think people are struggling with the idea of getting a new stadium is because because of the nostalgia that they hold and the emotional attachment to Old Trafford? Because to me, and I'm st- I am I am very warm to the idea of somewhere new, especially now knowing because of the land around Old Trafford, it's owned by the club and, and, and knowing that there is quite a lot of space there and it's staying in the same, if it was moving to like, I don't know, Earlham or I don't know, I don't know, sale, something like that. It'd be a nightmare, wouldn't it? Because for one, I mean, I'm from Gorse Hill. I'm from right next to the ground. So yeah. that was an emotional attachment to me, knowing it was right there. I wouldn't like it knowing that where I was born and raised, the stadium has moved to five miles down the road. I wouldn't like that. But now knowing that because of the land that we own and around the around the stadium and knowing that it could stay in the same area, I was very much open to the idea. Do you think there's so many people that, so nostalgic around it that they're just like absolutely not i'm not saying goodbye to it because surely your attachment should be to the club not to the bricks and the mortar and the walls around you all that stuff can be modernized and replenished and put in this new so-called stadium and and still allow the tributes to the busby babes and have the munich tunnel and have that trinity um trinity statue and or i mean not even renovate but reduce old trafford and keep it as one big place and mm. have it as a sports complex and have the women play there and have the academy teams play there and have five-a-side pitches for the community and just really invest in the area, uh, annoyingly, but a bit like City have done to, to Ashton because 15, 20 years ago, let's have it right, Ashton was a bit of a shithole and now it's it's quite nice. It's all right now. But do you not think that the, the nostalgia is what's stopping people from moving on effectively? I think so, and I don't listen. I don't blame people. I would never criticize someone who who says like, "I don't want to leave Old Trafford. I don't want a new stadium. This is the stadium where I've had all these memories. It's the stadium where you know Bobby Charlton and and 
Duncan Edwards and George Best and all those other great players. And more recently, the likes of Beckham and Rooney and all that lot played. So I, I don't want to see his move. I understand that argument. I do. I'm not criticising or, you know, dismissing anyone who's saying, I want us to stay at Old Trafford because it means something to me. I'm just saying from my point of view, and I'd like to think I've got as much as an emotional attachment or a right to have an emotional attachment to that ground as almost anyone. You know, mm. I've, I've been going to that ground for years. I still feel there's a little bit more pragmatism that comes in. And I think you can have your cake and eat it. I think it was Jim Mack who's in the comments says, we can get a new stadium and with clever design and planning, keep much of the iconic elements of OT. It doesn't have to be either or. I agree with that. You said it about you can have the Munich tunnel, you can bring that with you, you can have, the, obviously, the statues, you don't just get rid of them all. All right, well, we've got a new stadium now, so we're not having a Fergie statue. Forget that. You're like, what? No, that statue, the Trinity statue, the Jimmy Murphy statue, the, um, the Matt Busby statue, they all come with you. The Munich clock, that comes with you. The Munich tunnel, you, you put that, you know, in the new stadium. So you have all these elements, and yes, it is a new state, it's not exactly the same, but those elements are there. And like you say, I think it's a fantastic idea to turn what is Old Trafford now, if you're going to build a new stadium next to it, then make Old Trafford a, a, a stadium for the for the youngsters or for the for the women's team as well. Why not? I think still my channel suggested calling it, you know, the Duncan Edwards Arena or whatever, as you know, as as um or the Busby Babes Stadium or whatever. Something like that. Yeah, it makes it makes um it makes sense to me. It does. And I think the trouble you've got, right, is even if you revamp the stadium, if you revamp it, you go, no, we ain't moving. You revamp it now. You're going to have this conversation in 10 years' time again. You're going to have to. You're going to be having it. Uh, you're going to, someone's going to go, look, you know, I think Sir Mack have mentioned it about the railways at one side, the canals on the other or whatever. You're limited on what you can do at Old Trafford because it's in the middle of things that can't be moved. And you're going to end up saying, oh, you know, we've revamped it again. It's good. We might have to get a new stadium. Or we might not be in a position to get a new stadium then. We are now. We've got a guy here who's saying, look, if we want a new stadium, I can make it happen. Yeah, so, I, I think I don't forget that as well. Do you know what? The, the, it, as much as it kind of pains you as well, though, you've kind of got to look out for that next generation of fans as well. It's like you say there, the, the pragmatic argument comes and it's got to come into it because if we do revamp it in 10 years' time when it starts crumbling, because modern football moves on, it, it moves very quickly. Tottenham ground is already better than the Emirates, you know it. For, it, it just is as, as the Emirates is still very good. It's it's now not as good as Tottenham's. It's moved on very quickly, and it's something that United need to make sure they don't run the risk of making that mistake. Because Man United, as we all you know, I know we say it, but we really are. We are one of the biggest clubs in the world, if not the biggest. But if you were a tourist and say a Real Madrid fan coming from Madrid and wanting to visit Manchester. I don't think you'd be particularly blown away by turning up at Old Trafford and going, oh, is this where they play? You'd probably be a bit like, you'd see the history and you'd see the statues and think, Do you know what, it's a beautiful place. It's a, You can tell once it was great. But it has run down a little bit and it is probably time, I think, to look at the option of modern, modernising or rebuilding or renovating or whatever you want to do. I think I am probably now in the boat that with the with the area around us, I think it is time to time to rebuild, I think, because it's it, it's what Man United want to do in the next 10 to 20 years. We want to be that biggest, best club again. And having a new stadium, I think, comes with that. Um, but moving on from Old Trafford, obviously, I thought that was uh, really on topic, having you on, Jay, because I know you've been very spoken about it. And I yeah. am... I am, I am uh, I have warmed to the idea. I think I was always a little bit nostalgic myself, which is definitely not a bad thing. I, I, it's absolutely no, no, not a bad thing, it's, is it? It's not, it's not, bro. And I get it. You know, Old Trafford is one of the most iconic stadiums in, in football. You look at what's gone on there. I understand all that. I just feel that we've got to... Maybe it sounds a little bit harsh, but perhaps just stop kidding ourselves that you can keep revamping the stadium. Like, sooner or later, you have to sort of admit that ain't going to work anymore and we might get away with it now, re another revamp, but for me, it's going to happen. So why not make it happen now? Well, I've got the opportunity. I'll, I'll be honest. If the only thing I'd, I'd really want revamping, if we would, if we were to do the revamp, is the pies at half time because they're ridiculously hot, and I'd like a better selection of beers as well. I'll be honest, and maybe some better chocolate. But other than that, just build a new stadium. I'll be honest, that'll do me. There you <laughs> go. Say, yeah, that, that, I'm, I'm, I'm easily pleased. Um, well, so you I say that, you say that, though, just sorry, I know you want to move on, but just quickly, though, you go to other grounds, 
they have selections of food. They have, you know, reasons to get to the ground early. There's no reason really to get to Old Trafford two hours before kickoff. I know people do because yeah. they want to soak up the atmosphere and all that, but there's no, you know, there's no entertainment. There's no nowhere to go particularly. There's no selection of foods. There's nothing like you can do. The nearest thing is Old South Football, which isn't nothing to do with the club. The, you know, Gary Neville and his lot on that. So when you go to the grounds, you think, right, oh, look at this. Look at what's going on here. Look at what's on offer. And, you know, the whole modern football experience is about trying to get people into the stadium, spending the day or whatever, and, and doing all these things. And uh, what are you going to do? You, Old Trafford, get there three hours early to, like you say, eat a, a pie a pie that's, you know, been feels like it's been left in a cupboard for a week and, and get a, a hot dog that's between a rock-hard set of buns. Nah, man. Well, that's what I mean. Do you know, I, I, know it, I know it's not probably the biggest issue for many people, but since I've said it, but you do, you do see other stadiums, not even necessarily just in Britain, but all over Europe. That the food and, and the selection is so much better. And then it's like you say. I mean, I like to go to the pub before and after the games. I'll go with a miss or the lads, or even on my own sometimes. To be fair, because I'm someone argue sad. But going to the Bishop's Blaze because it was my local spoons growing up, or the Railway Club down the road, or even even into town to go to Mulligans or whatever. There's nothing to pull me out of there to take me to the ground two hours earlier and, and drink in there because it's just it's like you say the concrete's falling on your head or if you go on go on the go in the in the in the terraces and and look at the pitch and watch the players grow up uh, go and play up grow up go and play or whatever and train and stuff it's just and it's pissing down my rain you get you get piss wet through and stuff it's just it, it, there's nothing there at the moment that kind of entices you to come to the ground. And that's something it's sort of on your match day experience that some people would say is is something that probably needs to change, I imagine. Um, but obviously, moving on, I thought it was a really good little topic just to speak to you about that, Jay, because I've wanted to for ages. But um, obviously, FA Cup tomorrow, you mentioned it briefly before, but what are your thoughts tomorrow? I know obviously we had a bit of a bad weekend in terms of the Fulham game, but are you optimistic at all tomorrow? I know we've still got some injuries, but what's, what's your thought process? Um... I'm worried, I'll be honest with you. It's a tough ground to go to anyway, the city ground. We found it out, didn't we, a little while ago when we got beat there, again without Hoyland. It was a big mm. loss. Coming off the back of such a woeful performance against Fulham's got to be um, a little bit deflating as well and not the wind out of our sails. Also, there's talk in there, I think, of Maguire, Varane and potentially Bruno being injured. Which, which is really unlike Fernandez as well to be out injured. I think he's, yeah, he's never injured. So if you if you are missing three of your starting eleven, I mean that's after injuries as well. In the case of Maguire, because I think if Miners is fit, he'd be in there ahead of him. Then it doesn't exactly fill you with confidence. I still have that just sort of silly optimism. I don't. That's all I can describe it as. It's not even anything based in logic. It's just like I still think we can be we can do these. Actually, it's only, you know, look at Forest's team. It's got some good players, but we're better. But it's going to be a very, very difficult. And you know you've got players at Forest who, on their day, can punish you. We saw that last time we played them. You've got players like Gibbs White, like Hudson Adoy, um, the the striker whose name I always struggle to pr- pronounce. Is it Aoi? Annoy Warrior Summer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, Forgive me. I, I think it's so Brexit. Yeah, well, I, like I, I genuinely can't pronounce his name. I think yeah, I struggle. But you know, he's, he's a good player. He's a handful. He can get a goal and he can give your defenders a solid time. And especially if your defenders are your fourth and fifth choice centre back, which potentially is what we're going to have. So, yeah, I'm, I'm worried because if we get knocked out tomorrow, that for me will feel like the season's over. It will, because it'll feel like we're only just playing now to try and scrape into that top five, hoping that we get Champions League football by the back door almost. And you don't want that. I want, you know, something to look forward to. Last season was great because we had trophies to look forward to. We won one in February, and then we had another one to look forward to in May because we kept going in the FA Cup. If you're sort of sat there in March going, right, well, all we've got to look forward to is try to get fifth or maybe fourth place it's just it's not what we're about is it and it's just it's going to feel proper underwhelming for that end of the season especially the way things are panning out of who could potentially win the, the champions league or the premier league it could be horrible yeah it really might do you know what you say that as well but that's a really good point and my worry is that this season does feel like it's over 
But the only people that shouldn't feel like that are the players. And given the history and given performances, I'd be worried that they think that as well. Because, let's be honest, Man United shouldn't be hoping to finish fifth just to try and get a decent season. It's not really good enough, especially from a fan perspective. I mean, we spoke about it loads before, but I love the FA Cup. I might be old-fashioned in that aspect, but I'd rather take ninth and an FA Cup over fourth and no trophy. I love the FA Cup. I always have. I think you know. I know it's probably it's probably an argument a lot of people have now in terms of how important is it and stuff like that. And it was probably from the bigger teams feeling feeling weaker, weakened sides, I suppose, in the earlier rounds. But I don't ever think that sort of nostalgia and magic of the cup, so called, went away. So I really do hope we go find. I hope the players take it seriously as well. But going back to what we said about Ten Hag before, I genuinely think if we were to be knocked out tomorrow night. I think I think Ineos could pull the trigger because I don't think they're going to look at fifth and think, oh, that'll save him his job. I think they potentially would pull the trigger and, and look at either an interim or bringing someone in straight away. But in terms of in terms of the predictions for the game, then, mate, what what are you thinking? Do you think we'll win? Do you think we'll draw? Not the optimistic version, the truthful, genuine. What do you I think? Said, the players have to be out. Um. Yeah, I still I don't I don't know what it is. Logically, really, you you think we won't, but I still think we can get a result. I really do. Um, and I might be just kidding myself here. I don't know what it is because usually I'm quite. I can't, even though I can be optimistic, the times of the season where I've been very pragmatic and gone, nah, this ain't happening. And it hasn't. But. I don't know what it is tomorrow night. I feel like we'll get. I feel like we'll get over the line. I do. I really do. And call it delusional. Call it my heart ruling my head, or whatever you want to call it. I just have that little feeling that we'll do it. Call me back on the sniff or whatever. I feel like we'll we'll, we'll do it. I just do. I just feel like I don't know what it is, bro. I can't even. I can't even give you a, a, a logical reason other than I just wonder whether people. Maybe writing us off that little bit too soon. Maybe it's like United have done and we're not quite done yet. Yeah, I think. Do you know what? I think that's just a big aspect to being a fan of this club, though, and especially with with now and over the last ten, eleven years, we can never sort of say we're we're gone. I think we're we're always be like, do you know what? No, we might just win this one or we might nick it. I think with the performance at the City Ground earlier this season, it wasn't great, and it's obviously a tough place to go for quite a few teams, but. I could see it being like a, a really boring nil niller or a one nil summer and nicking it that way. But yeah. I think I think the main thing United need to focus on tomorrow is not just conceding so many damn shots. It has been a massive issue for us past well, all season really, but I think like you say with the with the handful striker and Hudson O'Doy and Alanga as well, obviously, some of them we know very well, but they're they're very tricky players and good players and you know, we're going to have to be at it. And it'd be an amazing result for Forrest to get through to this stage of the FA Cup as well. But United shouldn't be losing this tomorrow. Just, our players, even injured, should be better than Forrest's. And I'd be I'd be really gutted. I'd be, and I'd be quite angry with the players, I think, if if we were to go out at this stage to this Forrest team. Because let's be honest, they are in a, they are in a relegation fight as well. So, and I know we're not doing great, but we're not to that extent, are we? We should be beating Forrest. Yeah, hundred percent, and that's not disrespect to them. But Forest have obviously had issues this season. There's no, there's no two ways about it. You don't get rid of your manager because things are going really well. So they've had issues. They have got good players, but they've got players that also didn't quite make it at the top teams. The likes of Hudson Odoi, the likes of obviously Alanga. I know people say, "Oh, we should have given more time." And he had plenty of opportunities at Manchester United. It just didn't quite work out for the kid. And I think we didn't handle him right. Where he just throwing him in, like yeah, I said exactly. earlier, like you said earlier, when he, the, the team wasn't playing well and he probably needed a little bit more time. So yes, it's going to be hard. It's a tricky ground to go to. All that jazz. But I just, yeah, I don't know what it is. I just feel we'll get a result. Yeah, I mean predictions. I'll go, I think it's a 2-1 on the Paddock podcast. I'll go um, on the Paddock preview, sorry. I'll go 3-2 United. We never get a clean sheet anymore, do we? So I, maybe I they'll have, we'll, we'll do that thing of, we'll have 25 shots and they'll have 25, but we'll score three of ours to their two. 
<laughs> it, yeah, do you know what? That's probably a good prediction. That it'd be one of them where we just happen to take our chances, which I don't think has been happened very very often this season. I'll go. I'll be a bit different to you because why not? Um, I'll say two one, two one United, um, and just hope we frigging just get over the line because I'm just not optimistic about the club at the moment. But and I feel like that's been something we've all said over the last ten years. But hopefully the summer comes and the season's over, players go new players come in and we just have that air of optimism that we're going to go win every trophy under the sun next year. But Jay, thank you very much for coming on. Do appreciate it. Very first ever United Grow podcast born from the website and in in association with the Devil's Advocate. So big thanks to Keane for allowing us to put it on here. Um, Obviously, you've seen throughout the show that there's been a ticker um, for the Manchester Mind. So do um, donate to that as well. and obviously, check out the website as well, unitedroad.com. Um, but thank you, everyone, for watching. There's going to be more. I do believe we have gas drink water on next Tuesday. But Ooh, I will... You're going to have will... a big gun there, aren't you, yeah. BBC's very own gas drink water. BBC's very to... own, yeah. How I was on before. If you won the lottery or something. I said I'd buy him a pint of Foster's if he agreed. So hopefully, he'll, uh, hopefully that'll... Chances arm, but yeah, um, yeah. So hopefully, Gaz drink or next next week. Just need to confirm with him. Uh, some really big guests lined up for this show as well. Uh, make sure you check out uh, Talk of the League. I, think, I do believe there's a review as well after the game tomorrow night. So check that out. Um, and I shall wish you all farewell. Thank you very much for watching, and see you later. Thanks, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.